We're going to do a, little, a couple things different today. Hopefully it'll go okay. It might be a train wreck, but either way, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make it through today. So this week, um, Eliza, I was, we were doing our Bible story time at the end of the day like we normally do. And, and you know, I've noticed as I get older, I, 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 I don't have as much energy as I once had when I was younger and the kids from Andrew was a little kid. But nonetheless, we still try to do a Bible story. And we have a six-year-old. All the other kids are teenage and, and older. And she was there in her bed, and, and I don't even remember the exact story we were going through, but she said, Dad, have you read all the Bible stories? Do you know all the Bible stories? And I said, well, I sort of knew what she was after. And, and, I, and, I, and I, truthfully, I just said, well, you know, in terms of just having read and knowing the text, I've read most of the Bible. You know, I've, throughout the years, pieces and, and going through it, I've, I've read most all of the Bible. But don't think that I've figured it all out or that there's nothing new for me to keep learning and keep reading it. Uh, because I, I told her, it, it's kind of like the David and Goliath story. It's, she knows that one real well, you know. And so I was like, you know that story well? I know it well. We've, I've read it. Who knows how many times I've read that story? But each time I do, the Lord shows a new little, little light in some, some area of the story. Some new application, maybe for what I'm going through that day or that season. Uh, and I said, because the way it is that way, Eliza, is because his word is active and it's a living. And we should not just let it sit on our shelves collecting dust while our numbered days just sort of march on. At every turn... There's a new lesson, a new understanding as we turn the pages and read it. New insights, new encouragements from the Lord. And today, the study that, that I'm going to lead us into was a study for me that was that type of an example, I, a topic that I felt pretty good about. I've read some of these passages. I've read most all of them at various points. I'm good. I got this. But the Lord, hello, <laughs> do, you, do you hear? You need to go back and reread that. You need to rethink that a little. Take a look over here. Did you ever consider this, how that fits with this? And how that one goes with that? And did you see that that was his heart towards these saints over there? And all of a sudden, it was like, wow, there's some really cool things to glean from these passages. And so... I'm simply here today going to share with you what the Lord has done for me as I've poured through these passages. Uh, and I hope that you'll find this journey this morning encouraging and hopefully insightful uh, as we here as Christians living in the 21st century strive, I hope, to still excel all the more. So to do this, we're going to take a journey, one that takes us back some 2,000 years ago, yet one that I hope we'll see has direct applicability for us in 2023. So let me open us up in a word of prayer before we dive into this. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We're thankful that you've given us your word, that it is truly active and living. It can pierce deep within our hearts and our minds. And I pray that you would, you would allow your word to do that today for each and every one of us. Lord, you told us that you'd give us 
your, your spirit, the helper, when you left, that we would receive the helper. Those that believe have received and are enlightened by him. And we just pray that you, you would use him to guide us into truth. That was one of the job descriptions that you said, one of his roles. May you do that in our midst today. May you speak through your word to us, enlighten us and guide us as we walk forth from here. We ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen. So the year was 50 to 51 AD. Um, Jesus, the Messiah, had come and gone just about 18 years earlier. And there was a man named Saul of Tarsus that had been called by God to take the news of Jesus to the world around him. And with little hesitancy, he set out after the Lord got his attention and redirected him. He traveled town to town sharing a very simple message. Believe upon Jesus and you shall be saved. His focus was less on persuasive argumentation and more on the simple proclamation Christ crucified as he told the Corinthians. That's what I came and preached to you. He would proclaim Christ and then simply watch to see the Lord move in the hearts of the hearers. This was his calling and he did it with utmost faithfulness. And in 51 AD, after visiting with various groups uh, in the pocket of, of what would now be modern Turkey, uh, he's moving up through here. He's traveling along on his second journey out, and he really wanted to come over into this region. His heart was to try to come over and reach the people of Thyatira, Smyrna, Ephesus, Colossae, Philadelphia, all these, these different towns. Uh, but the Lord had a different plan, if you remember. The Lord kept closing the doors and, and, and keeping them from getting down here. And so he ended up going quite a ways to the north and ending up at Troas, right on the, the edge of the Aegean Sea. And it was there that at night he had a vision. And he saw a Macedonian man. He clearly obviously was able to recognize this is not a Jewish guy from back in the homeland. This is not a guy from the Galatian region. This was a person from this Greek area over here in Macedonia. And this Macedonian man in the vision at night was saying, come over here. Come over here and help us. We need help over here. So Paul immediately got up when morning came and he readied his crew, got the boat ready with Silas and Timothy and they set sail Crossing, crossing the Aegean Sea, heading over towards Macedonia. It was, a, it was a new world for Christianity, an open door for the gospel into the lands of Europe. And as he traveled, he entered in through Neapolis, and then he made his way down to Philippi right here. And, and that was the, the capital city of Macedonia. And he proclaimed the message of Christ sparking the very first believers, remember Lydia, and then others. And the first church in Europe was born right here in Philippi. Now, if you also remember, it wasn't totally smooth sailing in Philippi. It created an uproar with people, the Jews, other folks were getting upset with, with Paul, 
And before you knew it, he ended up beaten and then taken and thrown into prison along with his comrades, Silas and others. And so there they were in prison. But if you also remember, the Lord did an incredible thing, shook the prison that night while he was there and opened the, opened the doors and the chains. And it's an incredible story in and of itself. The Lord provided a way out for Paul. And thus, he journeyed on to the next town in Macedonia, right down in here, Thessalonica. And he kept going. And again, the Bible paints a picture of a very simple and straightforward message. The Messiah had to suffer, he said. The Messiah then had to rise from the dead. And he said, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And from that very simple and straightforward single verse proclamation in, the, in Acts 17, that yielded incredible fruit as many believed what Paul was saying. But success for one many times means jealousy for another. And that was true in Thessalonica. The Jews watched as Paul began to amass various folks that were following and listening and believing about this Jewish Messiah, the Christ Jesus. And that bothered the Jews. And they, they rounded up and stirred up a mob. And they threw him and his friends Silas and Timothy again back into the prisons. Affliction and tribulation arose in that city for any of those that had started to believe there. You remember people like Jason, who that's where Paul had been living with Jason and in his house, that's where he was staying. And they, they, they went after Jason. The Lord, though, provided a way out for Jason. And Jason then went to the rest of the believers that were there and they rounded up enough money to pay the bond so that Paul and Timothy and Silas could be, could be brought out and set, set out of that prison so they could get out. And then they said, hey, it was, it was night, by the way. They said, we got you out. Now you got to get going. You got to get out of Thessalonica. You can't stick around here any longer. So his, his visit in Thessalonica was sort of cut short. He had to move on. After, after leaving there, he headed down to Berea, the next Macedonian town. And you remember, he kept proclaiming the message of Christ. Now, the Bereans, they were more noble-minded in the sense that they tested what Paul said. They just didn't believe it at first. Listen, they, they wanted to test and make sure it aligned with the rest of the scriptures that they had. And they said, sure enough, it does. And though many prominent Greek women and men, it says, believed in Berea. But, like it was in the other towns, opposition was soon to arrive. The Jews from Thessalonica that had gotten so mad here, they simply followed him down here. Again, rounding up a mob and the crowd stirring him up. And again, Paul was sent out the door. And as he passed, or kept headed down the road, they, he actually went by way of sea, it said, and he headed down, came down towards Athens, had his famous speech there on Mars Hill. And he left back Timothy and and Silas back up here in Macedonia to keep watch over these, these newly founded churches. And after Athens, he moved on down to Corinth. And that's where, where I want to take a look at this. And it was during this stop in Corinth that he wrote back to the believers up here in Thessalonica. 
And the reason why is because after a while, as he was living here in Corinth, spreading the gospel, Timothy came down and gave him a report about what was happening back up in Macedonia. And so he wanted to write to them to encourage and strengthen those believers. And he said this in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he said, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. He remembers what it was like when he was there. There was a lot of tribulation going on. But you received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and this whole region and to Achaia, all the way down here where I'm staying now in Corinth. They're beginning to hear about what you've done. You got to remember that the life for these Macedonian believers was not, not easy after they converted to Christ. The, the Greek, you know, the, the sort of the Greco-Roman communities, the, the culture was steeped in polytheism, lots of idolatry. Mix that in with a little bit of hostility from the Jews that have been brewing up here and all these stops. And he knew that there was much tribulation, and yet they received it with great joy, the word. They, the joy that came, he says, from the Holy Spirit. And he said that their responses and their actions under such tribulation became an example to all these believers. So he decided to remind them that their example ultimately followed the example of the earliest church back in his homeland. He said in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, same letter, writing back to these people in the north, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are back in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. He's saying, I'm seeing and hearing from Timothy that you're going through the same things that the early church way back here in Judea also went through. And just like they suffered at the hands of the Jews, you're suffering at the hands of your countrymen up there in Macedonia. The tribulation was great and the affliction was real. But he said, your joy in taking up the word and following these things out it's being seen by the believers around that you're walking into this with great joy and it's encouraging everyone around. You know, we need good examples. Uh, you know, I work as an engineer and I remember working with a guy that I, I no longer work with now, but he, he was a good friend. I met him in, in college, worked with him for I think six or seven years doing, doing uh, uh, contract work with defense contracting and I remember him making a statement. He goes, Joel, you know, and he was quite a bit older than me. He had done a lot of design work in electronics. And he said, what, what's the first thing you do when someone comes to you and says, Joel, we need you or your team or our team to go design this widget, this radar test set, this audio amplifier, this whatever it happens to be. What's the first thing you do? You go look at how other people have done similar, how they've solved that same type of problem to learn. Are there any reference designs that are available? Are there any semiconductor companies that have something that we can glean from, that someone's already done a little bit of this labor? So you start studying what other things have been done to solve similar problems, and then you begin to develop your solution. 
Now, I also like skiing. And, you know, when, I, when you think about good examples, you know, I always think it's funny to watch ski school because this is a, it, it, the, the picture is perfect because this is sort of how it works. If you're a kid, and you could be a kid or even an adult. Lots of us as adults still need ski school if we, if we want to actually not fall or kill ourselves on the slope. So we go and we pay to have an instructor teach us. And when that instructor teaches us, they don't just simply say, I want you to go down the mountain, do some parallel turns, I'll meet you at the bottom. No good instructor does that because they know it's, a, it's a, probably a death wish or at least a broken bone wish for, the, for, the, for their students. What they're going to do is say, now you stand over here, watch what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you cut over here, make one solid parallel turn, make sure you lift the, up, up, the uphill ski, put the weight on the outside, cut in and cut back. That's all, and then I'll stop right over here. Watch me do it. They do it. You watch them carefully, because you know your turn's coming. Then you watch the daring soul that happens to be the first one in the line, that, that girl that's smiling. <laughs> She's the first one that's going to go, and you're going to sit there and watch and see, how does she do? What did, she, did she blow it? And you're going to watch, and then it'll come your turn, and you're going to try to put into practice the things you've seen demonstrated. I was telling the first service, I, I actually did some water skiing with some guys in the church last Summer, Johnny was driving his boat, and we were out there, and I hadn't water skied in 30 years, but there happened to be a, a brave soul that was willing to just dive in and be the first one to be willing to go out and try the water skiing. That was none other than Luke Rogers. He just jumps right in, and he's like, I'm the first one in, and I go, okay, let's, let's watch. My turn will probably come. I'm going to watch how Luke does it. Because when it comes my turn, I want to see if I can try to do this thing. Uh, so Luke gave it a shot once, twice, three times. I don't know how many times we had to gun them. <laughs> oh, let her back. Oh, no, oh, okay, no. Uh, anyway, it did, it did come around to my turn. We, that's neither here nor there how I did. But nonetheless, <laughs> you, you watch examples. You watch examples and you hopefully learn from them. Uh, and now today what I want to do is sort of do something. This is where we're going to take our little our little de you know, detour here. I'm going to do something a little different that I normally don't do. My kids call this man from a distant land. But I said, you know, one way that we can do this is I can just sort of become Paul. I was thinking as I read this story, I was like, there's no better way to tell this story in this lesson without just sort of trying to step back into his world, to see what was going on and to piece together the things he said. So I said, I think I'll try to become Paul. I'll try, and this, you know, I do this, I do this for a couple reasons. One, for a little bit of comic relief, if I can get this thing to, to work here. Um, I do it for comic relief, so, you know, because the Lord is, he, he made comedy, he made humor. Um, I also do it for historical accuracy. <laughs> I do it for historical accuracy because, number one, Paul was a Springfield Cardinals fan. This is a Springfield Cardinals hat. And number two, Paul did take upon the Nazarite vow, and he didn't, you know, remember he let his hair grow out. And he probably had dark hair. I'm just sort of guessing. I don't know for sure. But anyway, I'm going to try to step back into Paul, Paul's world and just sort of read this as if I'm Paul himself. So here we go. So there I was back in Corinth, 
And I had gotten this message from Timothy about all the awesome things. How does it, oh, a laser. I didn't even know how that worked, but I'm Paul and this is a laser. But I heard about what was going on up here. And I wanted to encourage those people. And I wanted to encourage them because I heard what was going on. I said, finally then, brothers up there in Thessalonica, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. You see, I wanted them to grow even deeper. I wanted them to excel even all the more. I wanted them to remember what the master told them. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I urged them on in this area. And I said, in verse 9, I said, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But, but, we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business, not meddling with others and and working with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need I wanted them to excel. Paraseo is the word I always like to use. I don't know how I'm able to speak in English right now, but paraseo, to superabound in quantity and quality in excess and be superfluous in their love towards one another. I wanted them to make it a life ambition to be not focused on themselves, but on others. To live a life not meddling with other people's affairs, but peacefully, quietly living out a way that outsiders will take notice of their example and that they would love one another in such a way that no one would have any need. So, I sent them that message. And I continued on working down here in Corinth. And I, and I kept working my efforts to try to spread the gospel. Because if you remember, the Lord had told me. He said, Paul, there are many people down here in Corinth that are mine. You must keep speaking, the Lord told me. So I did that. I kept speaking about Jesus. And many believed down in Corinth. And a whole new church was formed down here in Corinth. But the time came for me to head back to my homeland. Back towards the land of Palestine. And after a a brief stop over in Ephesus... I made my way back to Caesarea and then went to greet the church in Jerusalem and check in to see how the well-being of the saints was going out there in Jerusalem. Because you got to remember, I loved the church back there in Jerusalem. It was where I got my start, but it was also where I persecuted all kinds of believers. And so to see them now still going through affliction, they had a special place in my heart back there in Judea. So I cared deeply for the Judean believers. And so I went there to check on them. But the part of the story that I really, really wanted to get to tell you about happened sometime later. It was several years later. I was actually out on what ended up being my third and final journey for the Lord. 
I was again traveling up through Asia Minor, coming up through areas, Antioch, Derby, Iconium, places that I had established other little churches and, and, I, and I was talking to them there. Uh, and, I, and as I would travel through the, this region of Galatia, I, I, I went and I told them, I said, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come, but when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift back to the saints in Jerusalem. That was my heart, to carry a gift back to that, early, that church in Jerusalem that was under so much persecution. Now, I moved on out of Galatia. I came over into Ephesus, stayed there for quite some time, but my heart really also wanted to go back up to Macedonia, up here where, where I had been earlier and had my, my meeting there had been cut short. It had been about six years since I had been there, back, and I had you know, heard the good report earlier, but I want to see, did they get my words? Did they actually get that letter where I told them to excel still more in loving the brethren? I wanted to see how they were doing. So I set sail to Macedonia, leaving Ephesus, setting sail due north in the Aegean, heading towards Macedonia. And I'm telling you, this is where the story is incredible. What I found there, when I arrived in the Thessalonica, it was unreal. What I saw in Philippi and these places up there, it was incredible. I may have been absent the past six years, but the Lord wasn't. He was at work all the while. And I felt so compelled by what I saw up there in Macedonia that I said, the other churches have to hear about this. They've got to know. The guys down in Corinth, they heard about it earlier, but do they know what has happened over these six years? Do they know what's going on? They've got to hear the message. And so I wanted them to know the story in hopes that it might move them to action. So I said, now brothers down there in Corinth, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. It's a lot of words. But to see them, were they excelling still more? Oh man, it was a sight to behold. Their love of the brethren was so strong that as I was sitting there pinning this letter down to Corinth, it was like a paradox here of my statement as their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality? How can a deeply poor person overflow with a wealth, an incredible wealth? That, by the way, is an old Greek word I chose about riches. That was as if they were incredibly wealthy, overflowing in their liberality. I saw it. Despite their affliction and their poverty, they gave themselves to the Lord 
when they gave themselves to such liberality and sincerity and generosity. And this, my brothers and sisters, was the grace of God living it out through them. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You got to get this. You got to see this. They, they were excelling. And it was evident. And they would daily come up and urge and beg me. They would beg me, Paul, let us help. We want to do whatever we can to help the saints. We want to do whatever we can to help the saints back there in Jerusalem. Saints that we've never met. Believers that we don't even know, but we want to do whatever we can. We may not have much to offer, but we beg of you to let us serve the saints in that capacity. You might wonder why they were so motivated to give so liberally. Well, as I wrote, I told the Corinthians, above all else, they had given themselves fully to the Lord and fully to us. To live it out. Not to just say it and come you know, once a week to some deal. They, they were living it out. Fully in on this deal. And I was so excited by this. I had to write all the other churches. I started writing churches. I had to tell them about this incredible example. About the believer. I even wrote the believers in Rome and told them. I said, I told you guys in Rome need to know that in Macedonia and Achaia. They have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints back in Jerusalem. Yes, I said, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in the material things. You see, those Greek Macedonian believers were now sharing in the gift of salvation brought to them through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they recognized that. And they recognized that they were indebted to that early church back in Judea, the one that had been, was being persecuted. And so they wanted to show the indebtedness by wanting to give. And I told the Romans, I said, they look at what they're doing, they're giving. And yes, they were pleased to do so. Now, as I wrote this letter down to Corinth, as I sat there in Macedonia and witnessed this, I wasn't trying to, to command them to say, no, you guys need to get your act together. I wasn't trying to command that, but I wanted to give them an example. I said, I'm not speaking this as a command, but I, as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. I wanted the earnestness, the spude, the, the speed, the, the diligence, the eagerness of the Macedonian churches to be known in Corinth so that it would move them in such a way that their love down there at Corinth would be seen as well, that it would be proven to be sincere. Because only a sincere person with that level of love would give the way I saw the Thessalonians 
and the Philippians giving. I wanted them to see the example. And then I expanded the example even bigger. I says, you, you also know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he too became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Another seeming paradox, but this truly is the ultimate example of what I really wanted them to see, namely that Christ, though he was rich, became poor. He gave it all up so that they could become rich. And now, they too, like the Macedonians and like Christ before them, can give bountifully to others from whatever means they have, from whatever ability they may have. And thus, show the sincerity of their love also. That the Corinthians, like I asked the Thessalonians, that they also could excel still more, loving the brethren. I knew they could excel still more. You may say, well, why? Paul, how did you know that the Corinthians could also excel still more? Well, one way is because I knew that a year earlier, they had made it a goal there were, there were individuals in that church that I heard about that had set a desire to raise some funds for the saints. And I said, amen, praise the Lord. And there was a year earlier, and I, but yet they hadn't brought it to fruition yet. And so I, I, I wrote to them and said, you know, for it is to your advantage. Those who, who were the first to begin a year ago to not only do that, but also desire to do it. But now you got to finish doing it also. So that just as there was the readiness and the desire, so there may be now also the completion of it by your ability. And so I told them that. And I told them that, yeah, look, if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. You see the picture here, I'm trying to, I was trying to write to these Corinthians, encourage them. So I gave them my, my opinion on this matter. Finish the job that you had the desire to do. Give to the saints the way you told me you were going to do. Finish it. It's to your advantage to do it. And just know that if the readiness is there, that's awesome. And it's acceptable according to whatever he's given to you. Not to what you don't have. You don't have to worry about going beyond what you can give. What he's given you, you give that. You get this? Give what you can from whatever means you have. This is how our Lord has always evaluated those that present a gift to him. Do you remember when Jesus, our master, walked the earth? And he said, he looked and he saw the rich people bringing their monies into the treasury. Do you remember this story? And he looked and he saw these rich people put in their, quite a bit of money into the treasury. But then he saw a poor woman put two little coins in. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Our Lord... He sees the heart. He sees the bank account. He knows everything he's bestowed upon every one of us. 
He's wanting us to offer of our time, our treasure, and our talent. He looks to our motives. Are we motivated by greed or recognition from man? Are we motivated by genuine love for God and for the saints? Now, I didn't want those Corinthians to feel that their, their surplus or superfluous giving would somehow leave them destitute while the Jerusalem afflicted church would somehow turn into some mega church. I didn't want that. I wanted them to know the reality. So I told them. I said, for, mark this down. This is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. But all this is by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance is being a supply for their need. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. I just realized my mic fell off. So that there may be equality. Now, you see here, the Corinthians were in a position wherein they were able to give to the needy saints in Jerusalem. Yet another season may come, or would come with Corinth, would have a need. And then they'll thankfully receive the gift from their fellow saints back in Jerusalem. And you know me, you've read my words before. I can't write a letter like this without at least quoting some Old Testament reference. So I said, you know, this principle of balance and equality it's been, I can go back into the Old Testament, and I read to them, I said, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Does anybody remember where that came from? No volunteers? I traveled all the way here from Jerusalem to talk to you? <laughs> no, never mind. He, the reality is, it comes in the exodus of the giving of manna, when the Lord brought provision for the nation, he also told them how to handle the gathering of that manna. And he did it in such a way that no one would have too much and no one would have too little. The Lord desires a level of balance for the needs of his saints, just like gathering the manna back in the Old Testament. Not too much, not too little. Each being supplied with exactly what they need. I'm here to tell you, there really should be no excessively abundant nor excessively needy within the household of God. Now, before I leave, I wanted to remind you of what I told them about this ministry of supplying the needs of the saints and loving the brethren. And I wanted to tell you that it has many results it's a multifaceted result when you live this way there in Corinth or here. What's the name of this place? That guy that was here. Yeah, Christ Community Church. If, if you live this way, it has results. I said, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything. Get this. For all liberality. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For understand that the ministry of this service that I've been talking about. 
is not only for supplying, fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's going beyond. It also is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. People will thank God because of your heart of love and your heart and sincerity and giving to the saints. Because I said, because of the proof given by this ministry, people will glorify God himself for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. Because of your obedience, I said, that your, your genuine and generous giving, God will ultimately be glorified. While they, the recipients of this great service of yours, they will also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God that they will see lived out in you. They will pray for you. They will really desire to meet and see you because of your outpouring of your gift. They'll want to pray and, and get to know you. But, and they'll do that because they will see God's grace lived out in and through you. And thus I said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So now we can give to others. I think I'm ready to hand the mic back to that other guy. You, you good, Paul? Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. That's the man from a distant land, not executed very well, but nonetheless, Paul eventually did make it back to Jerusalem. And that church in Corinth, they got the message. They, they heard about the example of the Macedonians and the Thessalonians and the Philippians. They finished that offering that they had vowed to do. They did it. And Paul carried that to the church back in Jerusalem. He said, and after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The church, I went to, they, they went to the church there in Jerusalem to see them. They brought this gift from all over these regions, but a lot of it from uh, Macedonia and Achaia, and they received it with open arms and yearned to pray and care for those believers back in a land that they had not seen. Now, as I poured through this story over the past few weeks, it was a little like I told Eliza. Every time you pick up the Lord's word, there's a new insight. And this story, there were many of them for me. You'd say, well, Joel, you, I, I, I've read Thessalonians. I've read First and Second Corinthians. I've read Romans. Well, have you ever dove into that and looked at It's a lot more than just that one. They'll say, Acts 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Second Corinthians 8, 9. Did you check that out? What about jumping over to Romans 15, 16? See what I said over there? Same guy, same story. Check out what I wrote to the Corinthians two times. Read that thoroughly. What about, do you see how I connected these things? With, and you start, you start building the Lord, and the Lord shines in all kinds of new little things that he pours out in our hearts when we engage his word. Some of them for me that stood out is the call to excel still more in our love for one another. 
Can we grow in this area? I'll just speak for myself. I think I can. Actually, I'd say I know I can. What was the new, the new commandment Christ gave his followers? I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. That's the new commandment. Can we excel still more in it? I believe we can. Another one, the call to live a peaceful and quiet life, focusing not on myself, but on the benefit of others. Not trying to meddle with other people, just trying to get my, my gain out of them, but in sincerity of heart. The idea that while facing affliction and tribulation, we as believers in Christ Jesus can live with joy and abound in our liberality and our generosity toward one another. This, my friends, is the fabric of grace that keeps the saints working hand in hand despite the persecution. Now, some may say, well, Joel, you know, it's interesting you bring all this up and it's interesting about I'm just going to play the cultural card. That was a long time ago. Those people, they, they faced affliction, but what about us? We don't really face a lot of affliction, so is this really, is this really applicable? Well, our country's changing. I don't know what the level of affliction and persecution will look like in this country in the days ahead. But to know how the early church handled it, and to know how they walked and lived with, uh, manifesting this love and joy in the midst of it, even through their, their liberality and giving to one another, it's a good lesson to remember. Fourth on is the idea of being encouraged by an example or a role model is significant. We need good examples. The world is running low on good examples these days. If you just look outside your doors, I... Not a good example. Not a very good example. Not a good example for my kids. What are they reading? What are they watching? Who are they listening to? The world needs good examples. The young churches of Macedonia and the faithful believers therein, they were great examples. And they became encouragers to the other saints, the other believers, spurring them on to action, to service, to generosity, and to loving the brethren. I believe we can both look for examples and the awesome reality is we can become such examples as we live these things out. A fifth one. There's a principle here that runs like a thread throughout all of Scripture. This idea of balance within the household of God. Not too much, not too little. You can go back to Exodus like Paul did and you will find it. You can go to the laws on tithing, and you will find it. You will find on all, those, all the passages on tithing, don't forget those that are in need. Make sure you know what you're doing with the, with the gathering of the peoples. Don't forget the Levite. Don't forget the widow. And don't forget the orphan. Multiple times they're highlighted. Why? The Levite had no portion in the land. He didn't have any land to produce produce to, to live off of. He was in need. He or she, they, they, would, they would give them, the Levites. They made sure that they, when, the, when the tithe would come in, they would set aside and make sure they were the first to get to go through and have their portion. They would no, not be in need. 
The widow? No husband around anymore to help her. She's in a position of need. Make sure you cover that. The orphan? No parents anymore. Make sure you cover that. People that are in need, balance it out. Make sure you don't have you know, the Levites aren't having to live off with nothing. Or the widow, and while you live it up over here, oh yeah, you pay your tithe, but you don't even make sure it gets to the people that need it. He said the, the law was filled with it. And Paul brought it out here. Balance within the household of God. And what about the sixth one, the topic of grace? What is grace? If someone just asked you, what is grace, what would be your answer? Amen. That both services, people must have been reading my notes for the exact same words. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. And what passage of the Bible might you turn to if you wanted to learn more about grace? No trick here. There's a lot of them to choose from. Throw any passage that comes to mind out. And if you don't, I'll throw one. Galatians? Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved. Amen. There's, there's a lot to choose from, right? But would you be surprised to find out that the story we just read in 2 Corinthians 8, a passage about church giving, has nearly double the references to the Greek word charis, which is the English word grace, than the nearest New Testament chapter. Nearly double the references to this concept of grace appear in a chapter written to the Corinthian church about giving. And it's almost, if you study it, it's almost like it's, it's cloaked a little. You got, he's, the, the translators translate it multiple different ways as you're reading. It's like grace here, grace there, grace here, grace there. You may miss it, but it's there. You say, well, why was Paul so heavily emphasizing this idea of grace in the midst of our giving and our taking care of the saints in need? Well, I believe it's because our giving to one another is an act and a reflection of the grace that our God has demonstrated and shown towards us. Get this now, we can be vehicles for God's grace right now today as we take part in giving generously, serving wholeheartedly, unmerited favor to someone that may not even deserve it, but you say, I'm going to give it anyway. And we can demonstrate that grace. As Paul said it best when he opened that section in chapter 8 to the Corinthian church, he said, now brethren, we wish to make known to you what? The grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. God's grace manifested through their giving hearts. You say, well, Joel, I, I don't know who to help. I don't know how to help. Joel, you, you didn't give me the magical percentage. Shouldn't you have told me, is it gross or is it net? Is it pre-tax? Is it post-tax? Is it what, what, Tell me, if it's a topic about giving, you need to lay that out there. No, I don't. Paul didn't go into all that. He says, you take it before the Lord. You go all in with the Lord. 
you give yourself fully to the Lord, you ask him, that's my answer, you ask him how he, want, how he wants you to give and what aspects. Are there, is there a person need? Ask the Lord. Lord, help me know who is in need that I may help him. Is there a saint, a brother or sister in this body that has a need? There are. How can we help him? Ask the Lord. I try, I'm confident of you. Get on your knees and you ask the Lord. He's faithful to show you where, where he wants you to give and serve. And remember, if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Just take what you have, what the Lord has given you today, and use it for his kingdom and give to one another. And remember, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. This is where this issue lies. Paul said, it lies in the heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance. Get this. For every good deed. That's what the abundance is for. Think about these things. Pray about these things. I'm not commanding you today. I'm not here to tell you, you've got to do this. You've got to give that. I'm simply laying for you. The early church and how their actions in Macedonia and the grace that they demonstrated set an example that changed many lives and changed the world around them. If we are to be his disciples, we are called to excel still more in loving one another. 